moms, moms of any age children, moms particularly of toddlers, moms even more so of babies, newborn babies, and moms-to-be, grandmothers, or aunts and aunts and cousins and neighbors and whoever would maybe be buying baby shower gifts, you need to listen to this episode. I am getting ready to introduce to you and do an interview with the author. Her name is Sarah Farrell Johnson, and her brand new book is called Mama, Your Worth is Not Measured in Ounces. And I cannot tell you how much I am in love with the name of that book. It is so true. And you might be tempted to think that it's a book about nursing. And it is not a book about nursing. We do briefly talk about it. We have very different stories in that regard, but a lot of common bonds. And that's what's genius about what she has done here with this. Because as a mother, you will relate and you will find yourself in the pages, in the words, of her story. Though her story may be different than yours and it may be different than mine, as a mother, you will find yourself on those pages. And she really is a life coach. And she talks to you and talks to us um, today in this interview about life coaching skills, about working through things that we don't hear a lot about in a lot of other sources for brand new moms. Enough so that I'm going to be using some of her things in my practice as a coach and personally. And so I am tickled pink. I have been looking forward to this and I have been waiting on this. And I cannot wait to introduce to you my new friend, Sarah Farrell Johnson. And we are going to do a book review kind of style uh, episode today. And first, let me tell you this. She lives in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. She is a wife. She has a bachelor's degree in education, a master's degree in education. She is a school teacher. She teaches French. She speaks French fluently. She is a mother of two children that are very young. She wrote this book last year in the middle of a pandemic with a brand new baby as a school teacher. Like that in and of itself is incredible. I don't, I can't imagine. So I'm excited for you to meet her, to hear our interview. Keep in mind, we are doing this long distance. So I'm still learning about how that all works. And there are life uh, events that just happen. My closing bell of the stock market goes off and that's okay. Part of being mom is not missing a beat and you just keep on rolling with it. So it's real and it's raw. We talk about true things that have really happened in our lives. Um, I really believe that anybody can find value in what we do today because there's a lot of life coaching that happens in this episode. Let me take a quick break and give you the introduction to this podcast, and we will go straight into the interview. Welcome to the Uplift Effect podcast. This is Jill, and I am the host and owner of the Uplift Effect Coaching and Consulting. 
I transform moms from and children from chaos to calm. That is my calling. It is what I love doing. And you are going to hear evidence of the two things that bring me to this podcast. First and probably most importantly, I am a mother of four children. And while they are not all tiny anymore, I have three teenagers at home, which, oh my goodness, and I have one uh, young adult that is in college. But the other thing is I come to this with a background uh, as a grief and trauma therapist and have spent years helping families in crisis. And if you're wondering about the V formation, the birds, the logo, head on back to the very first episode. It's a very cool story. It is well worth a listen and it will help this all make much more sense. I am on social media, Facebook and Instagram. You can find me there. I also have a YouTube channel. Maybe that's how you're listening. But if you would like more information and how to work with me more directly to transform your chaos to calm, you can DM me through those avenues. Thank you so much for listening to the Uplift Effect podcast. Okay, Sarah, I think that we are started. And thank you so much for joining me today. I am thrilled to death to talk to you about your book. Um, And congratulations, because you wrote this book during COVID. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. During COVID. And I also kind of started it uh, postpartum right after I had Micah. So it's, it's been ongoing, but rewritten during COVID. <laughs> yes. So that is super impressive to have two children, one of which is a newborn baby in the middle of COVID. And oh, by the way, you're a teacher and teachers have not had it easy during COVID Ugh. and to write a book. <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. In the midst of all that. So, okay, let's just jump right in. What I want to do is I've got sections that I have just kind of highlighted that I have resonated with. And I think that my listeners would resonate with some of them are not going to be people, obviously, that have just had babies. There's so much. That's what I love about what you've done with your book is that I haven't just had a baby and this resonates with me. I have teenagers and it resonates with me. (laughs) Okay. Yes. So I love the fact that you say in here that you were greatly impacted by the heartbreak and grief and stress and self battering that you read again and again. And you saw in posts in Facebook groups with moms. Um, I, so resonate with the self-battering and seeing the amount of moms who are in crisis over this suddenly being in parenting. Tell me about what that was like when you began to see moms um, write in Facebook groups about their struggle with breastfeeding. And and by the way, you probably should just give me an introduction. (laughs) Let's start with that. How about that? You can give me an introduction of how this came to be. Some of that I realize is from this that you saw happening with other women, but also your your own experience. Right. Yeah. So I I finally realized I wasn't alone at some point and I turned to Facebook. Um, <laughs> but my problem was that I had low supply. And I know there's a lot of women who can relate to low supply. And the insanity that you put into trying to make more milk and produce uh, to feed your child, it's just such a primal instinct. And you feel like such a failure when you can't do that. 
And it's funny because before I wrote the book, I would tell you that that was my problem. You know, my problem was low supply, but it's not. (laughs) And once you start digging deep, once you start digging deeper, you start to realize like there's so many other perspectives to look at yourself with. And, um, you know, it's like a root cause warrior is, is what someone told me the one time. And if you really dig at the root cause of what your problem is, your problem isn't your problem. Your problem is other problems and the way that you look at your problem. That's right. You know, so I thought my problem was breastfeeding and um, I just, I couldn't feed my baby and I got so frustrated trying to learn everything. I, I didn't hire an IBCLC or anything and um, I should have, but I didn't think I could afford that resource. Um, so I turned to uh, Facebook groups for breastfeeding and I found in particular one for those women who had had a breast reduction, which is the situation that I was in. And I thought I'm in such a weird situation. Who, who else has a breast reduction? And I must be the only person. Well, I'm not, there's like millions of us (laughs) and trying to breastfeed with all of the, the nuances that come from that. And so I, I watched these women over and over just like crying and beating themselves up of how they couldn't produce. And they felt so guilty and they felt like such a failure. And I identified with that a lot, you know, and so when I wrote the book, I like originally my first thought was I'm writing this for them because there's no other books out there for breastfeeding after reduction moms um, with this special type of guilt. And then as I started writing more and more, I, I realized like this is really for any any parent, you know, like there's so many different situations that someone might be beating themselves up about. Absolutely. Um, and the yeah, and the 10 serenity tools can really apply to any parenting situation. Um, so yeah, so I just, I met them there and I just felt, I felt love for them, you know, and I, I wanted to share my story with them. Yeah. Well, your, first of all, your title is one of the very first things that caught my attention that your worth is not measured in ounces. And I was like, how freeing is it to be reminded that, My worth is not measured in any of these external things, but particularly the issue of breastfeeding. Now, one of the reasons I think we connected was because though my story was different than yours, I, I need breasts. I had none. (laughs) So um, I, I needed what you, what you got rid of. And so I did not make milk. I, it just, that just didn't happen. And it did on my first um, pregnancy, but I didn't have any idea how to do this. And there was this idea that I had been told or somehow got this perception that this was going to be really natural. <laughs> oh yeah. It's so easy. Yeah. So easy. The baby is just going to like, I have said before, like, it's just this magnetic thing that just latches like, and that is not how it works in my nope. experience. And, um, so I resonated with your words and your story because of a totally different circumstance. I felt like I should know how to do it because it's natural. And why would I not know how to do that? But none of this was become, was natural to me. Not a thing of it, not the breastfeeding, not the connecting and bonding with the baby. There was none of that that was natural to me. And so I had a lot of guilt, like you talk about 
because I had like very few things that a baby needs at first. And I already from the get-go at the very beginning was feeling like I was failing because my baby was crying and I didn't know how to stop the crying or to help him. And so I equated that to, I must not be doing a good job. I must be failing at this and maybe somebody else would be able to do it better. There's uh-huh. so much guilt in that. It's terrible. Um, uh-huh. So I really think a lot of people can relate who don't have the exact same story that you have. Yep. It's um, hard on everybody. That's right. That's right. So what you end up doing is you go through this um, serenity toolkit where there's 10 of them. And what I've kind of done is gone through several of them that I feel like are just really resonated with me, but I want you to, um, to say whatever you want to about it. Yeah. So there's 10 tools and I'll just share while you're looking for your, your notes there. There's 10 tools. And then each one of the tools starts with a quote. Um, so if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of time, uh, to read, first of all, it's a very fast read to begin with. It's extremely fast. Um, but there's a quote at the beginning of each tool. And then there's three questions for you to start to kind of reflect on, where are you with this tool? Where is, where is your life regarding this topic? Um, and then there's a lot of information and stories uh, to help you apply the tool. And then at the end, there's action tips to, uh, to really help you get a practice going for the tool. So there's lots of resources too with each of the tools. Yes, that is actually um, a very helpful part I think of this is the tools. You do a great job of integrating your story, your experience, but also really tangible, helpful tools. And as a therapist, I appreciate that. And I've joked with you, like I'm stealing some of this. (laughs) I will use this because with my clients, it can be so helpful in a lot of um, types of coaching and counseling work. Um, one of the things that you say um, at the beginning of chapter three, and this is the serenity tool, unconditional self-love, is that you noticed feeling the, the feeling of unworthiness when you became a mom. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, um, you know, you said, like, I have to admit, I, I always have felt maybe second best, like the second child syndrome. Can you tell me more about what that unworthiness kind of felt like to you? Yeah. So when I tried to do the breastfeeding with my daughter and I stopped after four weeks, I failed pretty miserably at it. Um, It started to bring up these insecurities that I had. Mm -hmm. And at first I just kind of bury them. It's really easy to just squash them because you have to keep going. You're getting no sleep, (laughs) you know, but eventually when you go to let them out and start to feel better, they rear their ugly head. And um, I've, I just realized that I was always being a perfectionist with things like, I always had to do things to the best that I could. And it wasn't about being better than anybody else, but it was always just like, I was not good enough if I didn't have it perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such like a disordered thinking. And I didn't even realize that that's such a disordered thinking because it's so very common, like a type A personality. Um, but the truth is, is when you're a mother, there's you're not, not able to be a perfectionist. We have no manual. We have no way how to know how to be a mom. And furthermore, I got very disoriented because everyone in your life is telling you something different, right? You have a friend telling you, oh, you should just 
you know, let the baby cry it out. And then you have a parent telling you like, you should be co-sleeping and the professionals will go back and forth and different professionals will tell you different things. And so I felt like not only could I not get it, I couldn't get it right. Cause I didn't know the path. And so my perfectionist side was like, Oh my God, I don't even know what to do with this at this point. Um, and then oh, I felt like way. I lost it's my own voice. Natural. <laughs> yeah. And then with the, the self-love, I felt like I lost my own voice too. Like I, mm. I had so many different pieces of advice. I didn't even know what my own, what I wanted or what my own voice was like, this is such a whole new life change that people don't really, I don't know, I guess there's no way to really warn someone, but <laughs> it's just, you lose so much freedom a little bit and you have this responsibility to care for this beautiful baby. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to find your voice and figure out what works for you and what's accepted in society. And, and so I just, I kind of put myself on the back burner a little bit. And I think a lot of us do as moms, mm-hmm. you know, and we just start doing whatever's best for the baby, like whatever's best for the baby, whatever tells me is best for the baby, I'm going to try mm-hmm. and I'm going to do everything. And like, we start to just kind of like bury ourselves a little bit and, and we don't even realize how, how much we put ourselves on hold. Yes, that's right. I love one of your, um, Uh, sections in here. I'm going to quote it. And it says, I questioned every decision I made. I had no idea how to do it right. And I felt like even if I did pick one and go with it, I would be wrong in someone else's view. I would mess up my sweet, innocent child. I felt backed into a corner and I felt not good enough from the views of the outside world, as well as from my inside voice. My two mistakes were not giving my own voice any power and holding myself to a perfectionist standard. I thought that was so very well stated. I absolutely felt the same way. And there is a weird set of emotions. I was very, very young when I had my oldest and I did have that loss of all my friends at 21 were all going out and I was staying home with a crying baby that I couldn't soothe. And, um, and yet you love them, you know, and they're so sweet and cute and, and it's a blessing. And then some people really wanted that. And then others of us were really surprised by pregnancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had to accommodate it. So I just thought yep. those were very, very such good words. And, you know, when we don't, because we don't have a manual, we look to external sources and that can create so much confusion. Mm-hmm. And we're not taught in society to just go with our gut instinct. Everyone's trying to market a product at you, like, a, yeah. a, you know, let's make more milk with this lactation product, or you need this baby sling, or, you know, yeah. everyone's marketing something at you. And it's like, you don't even have time to think about, well, what do I really need or want? Or what would work for me? Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. That's right. Well, I love your line. Don't worry, you are not broken. And this is not about (laughs) fixing you. That is a very freeing sentence right there. Okay, so let's go on. Uh, Serenity tool number two is visualization. This talks about confidence. Psychologically speaking, I use this so very much in work that I do with clients um, and kind of helping you find your confidence, reclaim confidence, but maybe find confidence that you actually never had in the first place. Yeah. So using visualization is a way to help you bring about in your life 
things that you don't already have or feel, things that you want to become or you want to experience. Um, and essentially, it's working with your subconscious mind to bring them to you now through the visualization and to feel the feeling of it now. And even though your conscious brain knows that you're kind of making this up, um, your subconscious brain, we know in research, knows no time boundaries. And so when you have that visualization, um, you're feeling it and you're experiencing it and you're actually connecting neurons in your brain and you're setting yourself up with the neural pathways that you just connected to head toward that goal then. And it's like, it's like building up stamina um, so that when you go to apply it in your real life, it's like you've already practiced it. That's right. It's kind of like the idea of going on a job interview and thinking through all of the potential questions that they might ask you and having practiced getting those words out of your mouth and even talking to ourselves in the car. Like you need a groove in your brain for that conversation because you maybe mm -hmm. never had it before. Yeah, so it's really good preparation for things, and it helps you just feel relaxed yeah. in the moment, yeah. which is such a big stress relief. As a mom, we have so much stress, or as a parent in general, yeah, there's so much stress, and it helps us refocus and and reorient ourselves. Yes, that that's right. I act. I think that reorient word is very good. It also reminds me of grounding. You know, it's very yes. grounding. Um, and that is super helpful when people are fighting through anxiety. Okay. So the next one, number three happens to be chapter five and it's committing to your goals. And one of the things that I really like about this is you talk about how does writing help the type of, uh, counseling and coaching that I do is, is really based a lot on writing. There is a lot of evidence that that shows that we actually need to get things out of our body and into another space. Like for artists, maybe that's doing art and, and painting and drawing or whatever. And for people that might just be words, even if you're not good at that, you think getting it out and, and literally getting it into a different place on a piece of paper so that you're not having to keep track of what you think, what you feel, and all of the emotions. Your brain is exhausted from all of that. Writing can be so helpful, and it's not about it being written just a certain way, but it's about getting it released out of your body and into another form. So I really, really liked the fact that you talk about writing out your goals, making them very specific. Yeah, there's just, um, there's a, it's a very specific thing that I give breastfeeding moms or pumping moms to help them figure out exactly what their goal is and how they're going to get there. Um, there's a worksheet online on my webpage to help you too. Um, and just, we know that writing it down proves success. Um, I have a quote uh, from Mark Murphy and Forbes magazine that uh, people who vividly describe or picture their goals, they're writing them, they're doing their art with them. Um, like you said, they're getting it out. They are 1.2 to 1.4 times more likely to successfully accomplish that goal. And I think it moves us from, there's two modes, right? So there's like a consuming mode and there's a creating mode that we all have. Um, so if we're, sometimes we're sitting on YouTube or we're sitting on Facebook, or we're just like scrolling and we're just like consuming. And it's like, it's kind of interesting 
interesting, but it's also kind of like an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a creative mode where it's like, it's time to process some of these things that we've consumed. Um, and it's time to create and find a passion and do something with it. And so I think setting the goals and writing them down and getting it all out moves us from consumption to creation. Yes. I think having a plan is a huge part of what I do in my coaching because there is nothing that feels more disheartening and discouraging than not having a plan. And when you have a plan and you can see it and visualize it and it's really tangible on a piece of paper, there's some freedom in that. Like, okay, I got a place to start. Yes. And some people really like doing plans and some people you have to like pull their teeth to get them to do it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. So this is one of my favorite parts. Number four, serenity tool. Number four is observe your thoughts. And I don't, I think it's just somewhat of the therapist in me. Um, I love this one. And number six, number four, number six are, are my favorite ones. So it is observe your thoughts. And this is where you go into what you have made the Lotus practice. I'm going to read this. You you put in here, according to the University of Michigan Depression Center, CBT, which is cognitive behavior therapy, is based on the idea that how we feel and what we do are colored by the way we think. Because we have the ability to change the way we think, we can learn how to have better control of our feelings and our actions. And that is the heart of what cognitive behavior therapy is. And so I'll let you introduce this Lotus practice. I love because I have seen CBT in a lot of ways and you have a component of this that's different than a lot of uh, ways that we do cognitive behavior therapy, which I think is fabulous. Yep. So I'm gonna let you introduce Thank it. Thank you. Thanks. So. CBT is well known and researched. It's a solid tool. Um, and there's a lot of like life coaches that kind of have their own version of it too. And so the three parts are kind of behavioral and like kind of like the actions that we do. Um, and I thought I wanted to take it even further. And there's a much more powerful part of everything that we think about and everything, the actions that we're doing, these behaviors. And that part is the subconscious mind. And not a lot of people know much about the subconscious mind. And to be honest, I had a lot of research to do when I started to create this. I didn't like have this Lotus practice available when I was struggling. You know, this is something that I created after the fact for people to try to understand my own mind and to try to understand why I struggled. And so I'm sure um, Jill will put a graphic of this for you on her website or something, but it's a little bit complex of a a graphic, but basically it takes a situation um, and it helps you break it down. So you are self-analyzing a little bit about what are my thoughts about this situation and how does that lead to the results that I want to get? And for some people, it's mind-blowing enough to even realize that we are in control of the results that we get mm-hmm. and that we are also in control of our emotions. And does that take a little bit of work? Yes. Um, but your thoughts eventually, when you act on them, they create the results that you see in your life. And so this Lotus practice is really just kind of an empowering way. You know, it's a tool to, to change your, your mindset and to bring that into reality. It's like creating your own reality. So your thoughts can really turn it into anything you want. And the thoughts that you think produce a feeling in your body. So if you have a good thought about whatever situation, I happen to pick a weird situation, but if you have a good thought about something that happened in your day, you have a positive feeling in your body. Mm -hmm. And so when you go to 
act, you're, you're resonating at a positive vibration, a positive way. You're being creative. You're following your life flow. But when you have a negative thought and you can't seem to work through it or let it be and rest or feel it and let it go, um, then the feeling in your body stays stuck. And so then you're left with a negative feeling in your body, um, anywhere from boredom all the way down to depression, mm-hmm. uh, anger, mm-hmm. all those are negative. And so when you go to make a decision, about what you're going to do that day. Well, you're deciding out of a place of anger or you're deciding out of a place of, of, of apathy. Um, so your action and your result ends up being different. So the Lotus practice is just a tool that we can use to start analyzing ourselves um, to see how our thoughts create our reality. Yes, that is very, uh, very good. And I think that visually what I want to explain is that you use like these two circles on the outside is our thoughts that lead into our feelings and our feelings then lead into however we're going to behave or an action that we're going to do on the inside of this circle is where you have the lotus flower and that is our subconscious and our beliefs i have been through graduate school for counseling and have not ever seen a cognitive behavior therapy model that I can recall that had a belief system at the center of it. Because in any part of this entire process, you are always still operating out of an internal belief system that you have about yourself or your circumstances that is some subconscious until we then address it to make it conscious. And so- I thought that that was really important and I'm just nerdy. So I really love uh, that part of it, but I think people can recognize and to see how that actually, like for instance, just today, I mean, the stock market is bleeding, like bleeding terribly. (laughs) It was awful. (laughs) And that is a situation. And my thoughts about the stock market and my investments are affecting my feeling, which if I'm not careful can affect decisions I make out of a Uh situation of desperation. And I have just had an overall negative feeling today because everything's in red, you know? And so there's, it affects so many things about how we make decisions. What I know is today's not a good day to make a decision about this specific situation because I am too afraid good. of my feelings. That's right. And there went the stock market. <laughs> the stock market that's great. <laughs> right in the middle. Of oh, the that's day. great. <laughs> Perfect timing. Perfect timing. So I want Yeah, so you are in control of your thoughts, Jill. And you're gonna have to choose some neutral thoughts, Jill. If you're in a hard spot, like, oh my God, this is not turning around, this is taking forever. Don't go down that route. Start finding some neutral thoughts like, well, it's just bad today. That's that's it. You know? That's right. (laughs) It's just been bad for two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) In the stock market world. It's true. Um, Okay. I really love the way that you talk about this lotus flower. So I'm going to read this um, because I think that this is just really good. And you say the lotus is a flower that is rooted and grows out of the mud. It is surrounded by water and pushes its way through until it finds the sunlight. It opens its petals one by one and becomes a gorgeous work of art 
Like the lotus, we too have mud. So, so true. Obstacles and suffering, we are not bound to be stuck. With nourishment from wisdom and practice, we grow and open little by little. In the same manner that a person appreciates the beauty of each petal as it opens, we too must appreciate all the little things we make towards our growth. The Lotus offers us so much to consider. And I just, I love the visualization of that. I had sent you the other day, this picture that says, may I live like the Lotus as at ease in muddy water. <laughs> so true. Ooh, as a So true. Isn't it? So, so true. And there's so many water. There's the muddy water of momhood. And then there's the muddy water of, of your work. If you happen to work outside the home and then there's muddy water of finances and marriage. And oh my goodness. Yes. Oh yes. And having a baby changes every single one of those things. And yet the boy, and, and I am who I am now because of my four children, it has changed every aspect of how I do life. Okay. Just so that you do not miss out on this interview, I am breaking this up into a part one and part two. I hope the idea and the words and the picture in your mind of a lotus flower sitting gracefully, beautifully, one petaled opened up at a time on top of muddy water resonates with you. I know it resonates with me. Life is muddy. And one petal at a time, we can open ourselves up to this beautiful journey of mothering. And so I'm going to end this today so that I can give you the rest next Monday and you get a lot more life coaching from Sarah Farrell Johnson and her book, Mama, Your Worth Is Not Measured in Ounces. I also want to remind you to be sure to check out the show notes because all of the links to interact with Sarah and to get her book on Amazon will all be posted there for you. Do not wait on that. It is going to be well worth your investment. Okay, have a fantastic week and thanks for listening to the Uplift Effect podcast.